Now this morning we continue our study through the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 22 and it's part 2 of a three-part chapter is what we're looking at. So the title of this morning's message is Questions for God and from God. And that's what we have before us. Let's start out with reading the first um, situation here in which um, the Pharisees have sent some, a group of, of people to ask Jesus a question. And in Matthew chapter 22, verse 15, we begin. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true, and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, wishing to hear from you. Pray that as we continue to study your word, that you would speak to us. Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to obey. Lord, as we consider these questions that are continually put before our Lord Jesus, I pray that we would see their intent, Lord, and not take part of those intentions ourselves with you. May we position ourselves in such a way that we see these things and already pretty much know the answers because we're familiar with your word. And Lord, to us, it is wisdom that honors and glorifies you and blesses your people. And so, Lord, we commit this morning into your hands, Father. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Question. What would you ask God if he were standing before you? What would you ask him? I've heard many people say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God and fill in the blank, right? Perhaps you've said it. But you live long enough and you hear people saying that, you know, in different ways. And when I get there, I'm going to ask him all kinds of questions. You know, why this and why that? The more you live, the more you experience, the more questions you have for God. This assumes the people that say that know how to get to heaven and assumes they will be asking questions and assumes that they are entitled to receiving answers to these questions. It assumes all of these things. But if you have the opportunity right now to have your questions answered by God, again, I ask you, what would you ask him? What would be that big question for him? Now, let's turn the tables. What if God was standing there and he were to ask you 
a question or two. We're, we're always at, in that place to where it's like, I, I want to ask God some questions. I want to have some answers to these things. But what if God were standing before you? And he had an opportunity to ask you some questions. What do you think he would ask you? Think about how you would answer with knowledge, just guessing, out of personal opinion, popular opinion, according to the culture. If you think about it, many of the questions people say they have about God are answered right in the Bible. And yet most people fail to simply read the answers. Look them up, study, figure them out. Because they're all laid before us. Instead, many people prefer to make up their own answers and act as if God has neglected to provide any answers whatsoever to many of the things that pertain to life. Like as if they just want them to show up in their minds. No work or study involved. So I want it to just kind of be infused into my mind. This morning, we not only have some people asking Jesus, that is God, some questions. And He gives the answers. But we will also learn about a question. In fact, this morning... We won't get to that question, but next week we will. Because Jesus, again, God has a question for those that were questioning Him. But there are some, there are some important points that we are going to learn about as we do get to that place to where next week we'll learn about that question that Jesus asks those who are cross-examining Him. Jesus gives these people... Precise, simple answers to their questions. I, th- I think oftentimes if you really study the Word of God, if we are diligent to get into the Word of God and read it and seek to understand, that those answers that we have, uh, that the answers that God provides for the questions that we ask are actually very clear, very concise, precise. They're perfect. They're not complicated. They don't require seminary training for you to figure out. They require you to have the indwelling spirit. That's all you need. He is the helper. He's the one that will give you understanding. He'll teach you all things. He'll point you to Jesus Christ. You'll get a knowledge of who God is and His character according to Scripture. We have all kinds of questions. We'll see some here, but again, I ask you, are you prepared yourself to answer any questions that God has for you? Again, we ask the question, what do you think He would ask you? Let's start out with the evil question. And that's what we have in these verses that we read in verses 15 through 22. The Pharisees had discerned, or in other words, recognized, that Jesus was referring to them in the parables that he had just given them. Three parables that he had laid out before them. And they finally figured out, after the second, then he gave them a third, that, oh, we perceive that he's speaking about us, to us, that we're, we're the ones in, in these parables. Yes, you are very right, Pharisees. So they acknowledge, they recognize this, and instead of thinking about what Jesus said, they secretly made plans to twist Jesus or attempt to twist Jesus up with his own words. Again, one of those things that I think about in the process of laying everything out is how many times 
at the times when Jesus lays out these parables, or as we go through Scripture, and we realize that we're in this story. We're in the verses that we have right before us. That we ourselves, instead of stepping, taking a step back, and humbly, and quite in a way of surrender, acknowledge that God is perfect, He is right, He knows all things, He has perfect wisdom, that Lord, you're right. And instead of just meditating on God's word and considering those things that we have read and come to understand and are convicted of, we seek to maybe look for other ways in which we could twist Jesus up in his own words. It's a heart of pride. Very self-serving is what that perspective is. Very, a very... Um, Self-centered attitude. These people, they wanted to find fault in Jesus' words and accuse him of standing against Rome or the law. Either one would be great for us. If we can find a way in which he stands against Rome, perfect. Against law, the law, perfect. That's what they were seeking to do. Jesus, you see, was very clear in exposing the religious leaders for who they really were. And they didn't like it. They were angry, and they were very hostile toward Jesus. But instead of going personally back to Jesus, the Pharisees sent their disciples and a group of Herodians, a sect of Hellenistic Jews and supporters of King Herod. They sent them there, these two groups coming together, which would would not normally come together, to confront Jesus. Their tactic, well... (laughs) Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. And then they ask a question. Oh, man. Like, to someone who's insecure, full of themselves, prideful, ah, they would be eating up these words. It's called flattery, right? Flattery, that, that's what their tactic was. It was flattery. The introduction to their question was full of flattery, an attempt to butter up Jesus, up, uh, butter up Jesus with strokes to whom they thought would receive it and swallow it. Everything. Remember that their intent was to twist Jesus up with his own words. There was no genuineness in their words. They didn't mean these words. Remember who sent them. Do you know who uh, Hank Ketchum is? Dennis the Menace? Ah, yeah. (laughs) He was the creator of Dennis the Menace. And he said this, quote, Flattery is like chewing gum. Enjoy it, but don't swallow it. Edmund Burke, he said, quote, flattery corrupts both the receiver and the giver, close quote. Flattery is excessive and insincere praise to further one's own interest or interests. That's what flattery is. It's self-serving. 
And that was exactly what they were attempting to do, further their own interests at the expense of Jesus. Their question was, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That was their question. They were referring to whether it was lawful according to the law of God, not the law of the land, to pay Caesar the taxes, this poll tax. Because we know it wouldn't make sense. You know, is, is it legal too? You know, well, he made the law. <laughs> and so therefore, it is lawful according to the law of the land. But they were referring to the law of God. This was the temple, or, or actually we refer to the temple tax back with this question that was asked of Jesus in Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through 27. But here, this is another tax. Um, and this was a tax, a, a Roman tax. It was a poll tax that Jesus is questioned about. Jesus in his response is communicating to them that even though the religious leaders collect this temple tax and the Romans collect this poll tax, it doesn't mean that they, either one of them, have ownership of those who belong to God. This is a good distinction that we need to make today as Christians. We need to listen closely to what the Lord has to say about this situation before us. Because it pertains to us. No, paying taxes doesn't mean that they have ownership of anyone who belongs to God, but they have this dual citizenship. We have this dual citizenship that they are to honor, and in so doing, honor the Lord. No one, quote-unquote, belongs to the Romans just because they pay the poll tax, even if others regard this as submission to Rome. There are those at that time, as there are some now, who say, you pay any taxes to the government, and you're submitting to the government. Actually, if you read the whole of Scripture, is very clear according to the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans that we are to submit to the authority that we have, for it is beneficial to us and it's actually assigned divinely by God. We also need to know the whole counsel of God because if they make up a law that forces us to be contrary to the law of God, then we are to obey God over man. But these taxes, who we are, who we belong to, well, that's, that's a whole different issue. Here's where they were trying to trap Jesus. If he said the taxes should be paid to the Romans, then Jesus could make himself unpopular with the Jews. They were wanting to be delivered from this oppression, from the Roman rule. But if he said that they should not pay, uh, pay the taxes, then he would make himself an enemy of the state, Rome. Either way, like I said, uh, they thought they had, they had him cornered. They had him trapped. This is it right here. We asked them this, this one question. It was going to be key. This is, this is the way to do it. But then Jesus answered. He said... Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? He said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. That was his answer. Denarius was one day's wage. That was the tax. 
Wouldn't it be nice if today we, we that was our tax? I worked January 1st for, God, for, for the state. <laughs> Here you go. We'd probably be happy to give a denarius, right? We're, we're fine. First note that Jesus was fully aware of their evil intent. This is what we need to note. These are the things that we need to pay attention to. He was fully aware of their evil intent and answered them anyway. Also, Jesus asked them why they were putting him to the test and then exposed them as hypocrites. Pretenders, deceivers, liars, presenting themselves as something they were not. So he saw right through them. I, I always pray that we would be discerning, that we wouldn't fall prey to some of the flattery that sometimes uh, people tend to throw our way. Because we know what the purpose of flattery is. What is it that you want? You know, what's going on here? Secondly, Jesus wisely asked them to show him a coin and asked them whose likeness and inscription was on the coin to which they answered, they gave the answer, Caesar's. Then his answer was, render, he used a different word. They said, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? To give uh, something that which, that which is owed, a debt. They used that word, whereas Jesus didn't use that word. He's rendered or give back. Then render or give back to Caesar what belongs to him. Remember that Jesus had just been talking about the kingdom of heaven, the authority of God to those who truly belong to him. And how that is known. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So in those very simple words, he is saying, hey, listen, the same thing here. Render to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. Just give it to him. That all speaks of the, of the temporal, whereas God refers to the eternal But Jesus had something additional to giving them the answer to their question. He said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But he also said, and to God, the things that are God's. You see, the coin may have had the image of Caesar stamped on its face, but people have the image of God stamped on their souls. Every single one. We are all made in the image of God. And Jesus was very clear answering their question regarding the coin, but also stating that what belongs to God should be given back to him. He says, render. It's not a debt. It's not something you owe. You're just rendering back to God that which belongs to him in the first place. He created you. And he sent his son to give you an opportunity and the ability to be restored unto him, back to him. Again, they use the word to give as in pain a debt. Who, who do we owe? We owe man absolutely nothing. We owe God everything. And yet, our very own lives, 
As we surrender our lives to him, we are simply giving back to him that which belonged to him to begin with. When we have these dollar bills, these coins, and it has the United States of America on there, in God we trust. We are simply giving back that which belongs to the state to begin with. Yes, we've, we've worked, we've, we've earned our wages, and we've done all of that. We are actually, in God's economy, in the kingdom of heaven, only stewards of what he's entrusted us with. That's all we are. If we start, if we begin to understand this and, and we begin to have this perspective, we understand, hey, listen, we are stewards of what God has entrusted to us. And he gave us the ability to earn that income. And it's at that point that we be, begin to honor and worship God, even with that which comes to us in the way of finances, our possessions, everything that we have. They don't really belong to us. They're, they're, it's a stewardship that we're entrusted with. And so there's this question, a statement of flattery, and then this question, and then Jesus gave the answer. And he's talking about giving back to Caesar what belongs to him, give back to God what belongs to him. And they walked away marveling because they knew exactly what Jesus had said. There was no question about it. None whatsoever. It was very clear to them. If they knew that they had him in a, in a you know, tight spot and they had gained victory or some kind of advantage over Jesus, uh, you, you better believe they would have said, aha, we got you. But they didn't. They marveled and they walked away. In other words, uh, they were shut up, right? It's like, wow. What depth, what perception Sometimes we have these questions, again, just going back to applying it to us. We have these questions, and if we just simply read the Word of God, and we go through and we get these answers, we're like, God is so, He's so, like, perceptive. He's so wise. And for those of you who know, yes, of course He's wise. He's perceptive. He knows all things. Of course He is. He's the source of all truth. So they went away marveling. First question, an evil question. Second question is a mocking question. Verse 23, as we continue, says, The same day Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, let, left his wife to his brother, so to the second and third, and down to the seventh. After them, after them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. Okay. So the disciples of the Pharisees were sent, and the Herodians. Um, they asked her a question, walked away marveling. Hey, now it's the Sadducees' turn. Uh, go have a try. <laughs> it's their turn to approach Jesus and ask him a question. But this question <clears throat> was a mocking question, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. We, we saw this from the very beginning. 
The same day Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. So why were they asking him about the resurrection? Only to mock him. That's what they wanted to do. You see, the Sadducees only accepted the first five books of Moses and regarded them the only ones to be genuine. But, but, if they did not agree with something in those books, then you know what they would do? Just disregard it. Disregard it. Kind of sounds like our liberal theologians of today. By the way, there are those liberal theologians that are in seminaries across the nation and around the world. Just because it has Christian in the title, we still need to be discerning. Okay? They didn't agree with something in, in these books, uh, the, the Law of Moses. Then they simply, all right, we're going to not pay attention to that. They twisted Scripture to their own liking. Now, their question was in reference to one of the books of the law. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10. That's what they were referring to regarding the marrying of a widow by a brother of the deceased in order to provide children on his behalf. That was the bottom line. That was the, the purpose of those verses. But they mockingly asked, whose wife is she in the resurrection when all seven had her? The answer? But Jesus answered them, verse 29, you are wrong. Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. His answer. First of all, pretty much he wanted to say, I want to make it very clear. You are Kind of somewhere in between, there's a gray area, go one way or the other on this. No, he didn't say that, right? You are wrong. There is a right and there is a wrong. So many people want to live here when we don't realize that it's all over here if it's not here. It's all wrong. A little bit of... You know, no, it, it's either right or wrong. Truth is either right or wrong. You know, anything opposed to it is wrong. So he said very clearly, <clears throat> you are wrong. You are wrong. Because, because you are ignorant of Scripture. Again, ignorance is not stupidity. Okay, ignorance is simply not knowing something. You're unaware. You don't understand it. And so that's what he was telling them. You claim to know better than anyone. These were the people who claimed, claimed they, they were like, man, we are very dogmatic about this. You're ignorant of Scripture and the power of God. They only believed in what they saw, felt, and knew materially. I won't believe it until I see it. So we may have, like, 
Sadducees among the brethren. The same thing. I won't believe until I see it. A lot of doubters. You know, I, I just, I won't believe it. I, I need to see it all worked out. Well, then that's not faith. And, and we know that if we stand on God's word, that is faith with substance. And that's what pleases God. How many people are wrong in their interpretation of the things of and of God because of the same reasons? A lot. In heaven, as Jesus said, there's no marriage. To settle the question for us, too. You may have had that question, you know, are we married in heaven? Um, no, we're, we're not. <laughs> so it's just yes or no, no. No, you're not. Marriage is something that takes place on earth and does not continue in heaven in the same manner. Our marriage will fully be with only one. We have the groom and the bride. For us, our relationship eternally and perfectly is with the Lord. It's between Him and us. And we will enjoy worshiping Him together as His people. It's funny to think that Jesus smashed two of the Sadducees' beliefs about the resurrection and angels all in one fell swoop, all the way through. They did not believe in angelic beings and bodily, in the bodily resurrection. They didn't believe in those two. And with his answer, he took care of both of them. Just like that. In heaven, people, as Jesus answered, are like angels. They're not angels. And I know that many Christians refer to their loved ones that have passed on before them as angels looking down upon them. That is actually unbiblical. It's not, it, you, you, won't, you won't find it in the Bible. Right? They are not, thank God they're not angels. Because that means that we would just become angels. We're not, we're not angels. Amazing. We are God's creation and and he will, it, it, there's much more for us. So much more. All right? But he said they're like angels. And God, he said, has the power to raise the dead. You're, you don't know the power of God. By which we know that he will raise the dead because he said he will raise the dead. And so Jesus answers in this manner. Lastly, Jesus addressed the issue of the dead with the respect to their beliefs about there being no resurrection and talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the living God. If there was no resurrection, then there is no life after our physical death. We simply exist to, uh, or cease to exist. But Jesus asked them if they had never read. He answers them, he says, uh, let's see here. You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Right? So, you don't understand. You don't have comprehension of the scriptures. You, you, don't, you don't get it. Even though you read, you, you, you're, not, you're not fully grasping. It's good for us to seek to understand the word of God. He said... Very clearly, he's the God is the God of Abraham. And he's the God of Isaac. And he's the God of Jacob. And he is not the God of the dead, but he is the God of the living. The living God 
is the God of the living. The crowd was astonished. They were stunned, absolutely amazed at what they had just witnessed. This exchange between the two going back and forth, their question, their whole, the, the whole situation uh, was laid out. You know, this question was laid out before Jesus and, and the way he answered. They were just absolutely amazed. I've had so many questions answered by people throughout my life. But when I read God's answer about these things in the Bible, I too am amazed at the wisdom of God's truth. It's like, man, I've heard it answered in so many different ways. And then I come across something to which I've, I've had that question about, and God answers it. Like, wow, I'm, I'm astonished. I'm amazed. This is This is awesome. And he continually answers questions. We know that by Jesus' answer, that he silenced the Sadducees. They had nothing to say to what Jesus had replied with. In fact, if we look at uh, verse 34, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. So he silenced the Sadducees. He muzzled them with the truth. Ah, What more do you have to say? Absolutely nothing. It was just done. Boom, that was it. The first group that questioned Jesus had an evil intent to try and entangle Jesus in his own words and failed. And now this second group had a mocking question for Jesus and were silenced, being called ignorant and unbelieving, and had the truth explained to them. Here are some truths to consider. No matter how hard a person attempts to entangle God in his own words, that person will fail. For God's word is perfect, and a person cannot and will not ever find it twisted. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All scriptures breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Yeah, you have those, again, who are skeptics and those who doubt and those who want to challenge God and say, well, the, the, they've never read it. They say, this Bible, it's written by a bunch of men. Just like you and me. And then you simply, even if you ask the question, though, have you ever actually read the Bible? Like from cover to cover. Do you understand uh, over the course of how many years it was written and, you know, that they, they really didn't come together, they didn't have a meeting? To, even if they did have a meeting and all come together to write this, it wouldn't have been as perfect as it is. They wouldn't have. Try getting ten people to come into a room and talk and then go off and write their own thing and have it all come together. It would never come together perfectly. And yet, this does. Perfectly. All the way through. Know God's word and be ready with the answer to that which pertains to life and godliness. It is known in Christ Jesus our Lord, according to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. The mocker is mocked by his own words. Here's something else to consider. 
A mocker is mocked by his own words and is revealed to be wrong and a fool against the knowledge and power of God. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 28 says, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Um, I think it was Mark Twain, Abraham Lincoln, and then the list goes on. Uh, You've heard something similar too. Better to keep silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt, right? (laughs) When when you don't know what you're talking about, it's just like, hmm, yeah. Just just don't talk. Just listen. They'll think, man, that Raw, he's so smart. It's like, I didn't say a word. I didn't say a thing. Because <laughs> I'm ignorant. I'm a fool for these things, you know, so I don't know. But a mocker is mocked by his own words. A fool who speaks removes all doubt. And when they were asking this question, they themselves didn't believe it. These Sadducees, they didn't believe this, and yet they were asking this about the law that they uh, claim that they believe, and yet we know that they, if they didn't want to believe it, then they just simply removed it. And so they, they were just mocking Jesus, attempting to mock Jesus, and they themselves were mocked as fools. Jesus, in his replies to these people who were attempting to twist his words and mock him, said things we ought to really take to heart this morning. Number one, render to God the things that are God's. Do you you really know, do you really understand whom you belong to? Do you belong to yourself? The world will will make every attempt to have you believe that. Ah, you belong to yourself, you know. You deserve, you're entitled to, you should, and on and on and on and on. Just Just listen for a while to the world around you, and you'll have this message just drilled into you. That's how they sell you many things also, right? It's all about you. They'll use flattery. It's a a technique that is used. They'll flatter you. Do you know whom you belong to? You belong to the Lord. Surrender to God the things that are God's. Remember that you have His image stamped on your soul. And he is not God of the dead, but of the living. You bear the image of God on your soul, are you completely given to God? Is there anything you deny God? Are you denying everything or part? Some people here may be denying everything to God. I'm not going to let you into my heart. I'm not going to ask for forgiveness. I'm not... No, because I don't acknowledge you as my God. And yet, he demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we were all good, you know, which we never will be. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one, right? But, but, but while we were still enemies of God, he sent his son to die in your place. And yet, we just with a very prideful, obstinate heart, just sometimes keep him at arm's length. I pray that this morning that you would just surrender to the Lord. 
because it's in that place of knowing God that it's not, it's not about anything else. It's about knowing his love, his forgiveness, his grace, his compassion for us, his mercy. And, and as we come to realize that through Jesus Christ, by us confessing our sins to him and simply surrendering to him, oh, we belong to him. And, and he takes our sin and he places it as far away from us as the east is from the west. He remembers it no more. He will not hold it against you. Everything has been paid for on the cross. I pray that this morning today would be the day of salvation for you. But many times, it's in part for those who are even walking with the Lord that we deny Him a portion of our lives. Uh, We compartmentalize. I'll let you into this one, but not the other. And we shouldn't do that either. Because He wishes not only to give you eternal life, but life abundant, according to John 10.10. In Christ, we know we are alive, new creatures in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And when we die physically, we will be eternally alive in the presence of God. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To live is Christ, to die is gain for the Christian. Have you surrendered it all? Do you know whose image you bear on your soul? Render to God that which belongs to to God. I pray that you would be discerning, that you'd be wise, and you would search the scriptures to, for everything that pertains to life and godliness. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, may this be the day of salvation. Simply asking God for forgiveness, asking Him to be Lord and Savior, and, uh, and for you to just know the blessing of being forgiven and knowing forgiveness now and for all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for, for that love that you loved us with through your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask, Father, that you would not only forgive us of our sins, Lord, but, Lord, that you would fill us with your Spirit, helping us to walk in a manner in which is pleasing to you, honoring to you, glorifying to you, that we may be a... a it's just a source of blessing to you. Lord, as we truly render our lives to you, that which belongs to you, now and for all eternity, I pray for any here who don't know you as Lord and Savior, and, and I do pray, Father, that you would soften their hearts, that they would not take the place of mockers, that they wouldn't be a people who simply wish to test you and make every attempt at twisting your words against you, for those are all futile attempts. I pray, Lord, that they would come to know your love, your grace, and surrender to you, and know personally a salvation, both for the day in which we live in, and knowing your presence for all eternity. And so, Lord, we commit our lives once more into your hands. We ask your blessing and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.